All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for loving us and for your word. Lamp into our feet and a light into our path, Lord. Help us just to abide in you today. Help us to know your goodness. Help us to be instructed by you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, spoken through your word. Lord, thanks that you make all this available to us. Have your way with us, please. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you were here last week, I started to go through 1 Timothy chapter 3, sort of intending to do the whole thing, maybe, and uh, we played an audible and uh, stopped at verse eight, 7, and we pick up today at verse 8. And uh, I got zero negative feedback on playing that audible. So, <laughs> there you go. First uh, and Second Timothy are Paul's letters to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor in the church of Ephesus. We know from the, from the letter of Paul to the church of Ephesus. This was uh, a cool church, like this is a cool church, but uh, even in that there were some difficulties, and there's always difficulties in a church, and um, thankfully, I just have to say parenthetically, um, I feel like we're just spared of a lot of that stuff, and so I don't take that lightly. I thank you guys for being super gracious. Uh, but anyway, Timothy's this young pastor that needs some encouragement, he needs some instruction. Uh, Paul basically is um, giving Timothy some instruction on setting things in order. You know, we talked a little bit about this last week, and, you know, whenever there's a group of people, there needs to be some order. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Like, even two people, right? For example... You may or may not be familiar with this. You want to go to dinner? Sure. Where do you want to go? What's the next statement said? I don't, I don't care. Where do you want to go? And what's the next statement said? I don't care. Where do you want to go? And this group needs order, right? That group of two needs order, right? Usually it plays out like, I don't care where you want to go. 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 How about we go get sushi? What's the next statement that's said? I don't like sushi. <laughs> so any group needs a little order, right? Right? And so even a group like this with, you know, wonderfully gracious people and all of that, we need a little order. But here's my, and this is a little bit my bias, we can get in serious trouble with too much order, right? Because that becomes uh, religion. That becomes um, man-made. That becomes more dependent on our structure than on the Lord. And I hear story, heard story this week uh, about a situation where, you know, the church leadership was just a little bit too felt, we'll just say, 
and uh, all of that. And you've heard me say before, you know, you should, you should appreciate that we have police in our community, but they sure, it probably shouldn't impact your lives too much. Is that fair? And uh, so that's how we set that. So anyway, Paul's given Timothy some instructions on how to do order in the church and some of that sort of thing. And uh, particularly, uh, chapters 1 and 2 give some basic principles regarding doing church stuff. Chapter 3 was some specific principles now related to leaders in the church and specific roles in the church. And I say, as I say that, I have to remind myself and all of us that as Christians, we are all ministers. As Christians, we are all ministers. We all have a ministry. We all have a role. And uh, it's important that we know what that is and that we, I mean, it's important that we do whatever we're supposed to do faithfully as unto the Lord. And so there are some specific roles that, he, that, that Paul outlines for Timothy. The first one we read about last week was the overseers. Um, the translated word is bishop. Some, uh, some would take that to mean the pastor of the church or the overseer. Uh, there's some, and we talked about this last week, there's, you know, not, not really any hard, fast line in the sand, uh, really role specifically, but yet some descriptions of, of an overseer. And so we went through that last week, and then um, in, chapter, in verse 8, he starts to talk about uh, the deacons. So we think of the deacons as the ones that are sort of doing some of the work in the church. And turn back to Acts chapter 6, if you would, back to the left. And we see sort of the history on this, on this role, we'll say. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We read this last week, but we'll read it again this week. It says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the, the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were some of the Greeks. And so the Greeks are feeling a little bit slighted uh, by the Jewish believers because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So then the twelve, the apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, let me just pause there. They're not saying that serving tables is menial work. It's super important that we get that. It's super important that we get that. Serving tables is not menial work. Serving tables is, is critical work. What they were saying is, if we spend all day serving tables, then we're gonna, we, we have a finite amount of time and energy in life. And if we spend all day serving tables, we're going to probably um, not be able to spend as much time focused on prayer and the Word, studying the Word. Okay, so that's reasonable. It's not a statement of importance, and I'm going to, I hope you catch by now, and I hope you continue to catch, I'm going to hammer this, because we have been conditioned into what I call the Christian hierarchy. Does that make sense? Like the missionaries up here, the senior pastors here, the associate pastors here, you know, the chairman of the whatever committee is here, and Joe Schmo is here, right? How does that make you feel, Joe? Right? <laughs> Joseph, I'm sorry. How does that make you feel? 
Makes you feel like Joe Schmo, right? Now just help me out. I mean, you don't have to be a theologian. Just based on what you know about God, does that sound accurate? Not in the least. And so, yes, I'm going to hammer on this. I, went, I hammered on it last week. We talked about the T-helper cells. If that piques your interest, go back and listen to the tape. I won't go through the whole thing again. T-helper cells. The human body, the body of Christ is like the human body, right? The human body has all kinds of cells. Some are super visible. Some are not quite so visible. But it doesn't mean one's more important than another. It just means they have different roles. And in the body of Christ, the people that serve tables are no less important in the eyes of God than the pastor of the church. We've got to get our heads around that as a Christian culture. Honestly, I feel like we've got our heads around that pretty well here. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate that everyone here is valued and everyone here sees themselves, I hope, as a vital part of what's going on, of what the Lord is doing overall here. This is not Scott's church. This is the Lord's church. And so, um, so that's, that's that. So these guys said, we've got to have some people, you know, uh, tending to the word of God and prayer and some people serving tables. So therefore, they said, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may, whom we may appoint over this business. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they prayed, they laid hands on them. So these guys are really the first of what we call deacons, the guys that are sort of doing the work around the church. Sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not, and uh, the work just gets done. And so that's really the, um, the history sort of behind that. Now, as I say that, turn back to the, farther to the left, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20. Go to verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the, gen that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They love their authority, right? And those who, exercise, who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now many of us have grown up hearing those, ver those words, and we know the idea that Jesus called us to be servants. And so I want to point out a couple things out of those verses. Number one, Jesus says, whoever desires to be great among you, not like self-exalting kind of great, but just great in our role and, the, and you know, bearing fruit and, and productive for the Lord, if you will, and abiding in Him and all of that. Whoever wants to be that, now let me just say this first of all. 
What that means is not everybody wants to be that. Right? Whoever chooses to be great means you can choose to be great. If, if a person can choose to be great at something, it also means they can choose to be mediocre at something. Can I tell you this? I believe with all my heart, theologically, and again, I'm, God's grace covers this somehow beyond my, my human understanding. But I think it's possible to go through life as a mediocre Christian and wind up in heaven. I believe it's possible. That's why, you know, a lot of times people that are more theologically bent than me might split hairs over who's saved and who's not. That's God's business. It's not mine. But it's possible, I believe, to be a mediocre Christian. Make it to heaven. Live life. I think even, and, and frankly, I've kind of seen this play out a little bit in life. I think by God's grace, there's a thing, if I can just say this. God is so gracious that I think people that choose to live like that don't go through life necessarily condemned, but go through life not realizing what they missed. That's God's grace. If I could digress for one second. The Lord, I believe, I'm not, if you know me at all, I'm not a guy that gets a lot of like where I would say I had a vision from the Lord. But I believe on Christmas Day, I was standing back there during worship. And I believe I had a vision from the Lord. Maybe it was a, just a strong impression, a strong thought. If, you're, if you grew up in this denomination, um, I had a thought. <laughs> if you grew up in this denomination, the Lord spoke to me, okay? You call it what you want, right? We're the body of Christ, right? We've been working on this. Anyway, I think the Lord spoke to me. And... You know, at Christmas time, you have that thing that some people that are maybe a little bit jokester-oriented, they'll get you this huge box, right? You open it up, what's inside? A box. You open that one up, what's inside? A box. You open it up, what's inside? A box. And I had this vision of like, 10 of these boxes. And inside the last box is some treasure. Doesn't matter what it is. We'll say it's a brick of gold. And I had this vision that too often we just open up the first couple of boxes and think we're done. Why do we do that? Because there's uncertainty in that next box. It feels a little weird. It's not maybe how I grew up. It doesn't fit my grid. It, there's, I, I, can't con I, I, I lose control with every new box I open. And somehow, by God's grace, when I do that, I walk away 
and say, I got a beautiful box, not realizing what I missed. And can I tell you, I, I'm just sharing my heart. I think it's entirely possible, and I think too often we do this, that we got this great box. Maybe it's the third box, maybe it's the fourth box. But you know, if you notice the way life works, we should never stop opening boxes, ever. And if we find ourselves at this place where, all right, I kind of got my nice tidy box life on my third box, I'm, I'm good. And God will let us stay there, right? So he says, whoever wants to be great among you, and I don't think he means like great in the eyes of man, any of that kind of stuff. I think he just means, you know what I mean. You want to have like go the distance kind of a life with the Lord. The kind of life where he says, I'm ab abiding in me. That's what we want. He said, if you want that, be a servant. What's it mean to be a servant? It means I'm not all consumed with myself and my pride and my ability to like be in charge. So, we're coming back. Okay, in case you wondered if we'd ever be back. I'm declaring we're coming back. First Timothy chapter three, verse eight. What's a deacon? A deacon's a servant. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant. So my point in all that is this doesn't just relate to like the chairman of this committee and the chairman of this committee and the chairman of this committee that they, get, they do the work. I think as ministers, we're all servants. If we want to be great, we should be a servant. And as such, these principles apply to all of us as servants of Christ. Paul identified himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We would do well to do likewise. So we're talking about all of us. It says, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. So we can break down these words a little bit. Likewise means in the same way. So many of the principles that applied to the bishop uh, in verses 1 through 7 are going to apply to the deacon, and that makes sense. Because again, we're talking about godliness, we're talking about um, character things. So likewise, the deacon must be reverent. Now, interestingly, reverent means respectful. Can I say this? Respectful, reverent is not alive and well in our society today. Thank you, social media. Thank you, political polarization. Thank you, lots of factors. But the reality is, we as Christians can go through life giving respect to other people, maybe even people we don't agree with, maybe people who don't share our deepest convictions, and treat them with dignity and respect. And guess what that does? That gives us credibility so that we can have a voice of influence in this world. Don't we really want that? Don't we want to have a voice of influence in this world? Yeah, well, guess what? We earn that. We don't demand it. We earn it. And one of the ways we earn it is by being respectful. 
Interestingly also, this word reverent is not mentioned in the case of overseers. So I think we could draw an application here a little bit that, you know, uh, the overseer doesn't say reverent. I'm sure the overseer should be reverent, respectful. But there's an idea of, uh, I believe, with the deacon or with the servant that that person needs to be okay with authority, right? That person needs to respect authority. I have authority figures at my workplace, right? And I don't always agree with them. But I need to treat them with respect as one in a God-ordained authority position over me. So that's reasonable. That's how that rolls. This deacon is also not to be double-tongued. Can I tell you another thing that's lacking in our society? Integrity. 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 If you have a different story, depending on the situation, people are going to see right through that sooner or later. Can I tell you this? People are going to see right through that sooner or later. And it's amazing to me how often somebody will have a conversation with me about a situation and they're telling me that they lied to this person in this situation. You ever been in that situation before? Right? Somebody's telling you, you're telling you about what they did, you know, last week at work. Or they'll just passively call in. I mean, is the, is the world this sick, right? Everybody calls in sick on Monday, <laughs> right? Is the world always sick on Monday and Friday? Right? But somebody will come in and they'll tell you, yeah, you know, I had to uh, run some errands, so I called in sick. Knowing that, like, calling in sick wasn't necessarily a violation of me, but it's a revealing to me of who that person is. Right? Do you want to have that kind of reputation? I don't. I don't. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's a huge principle of the scripture. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And again, integrity is what helps with our credibility. If I know somebody's a liar, or let's say not maybe not a liar is a strong word, right? Only, you know, that sounds accusatory. But if I know somebody is not um uh, necessarily steadfast to maintain their integrity in all situations, it causes me to just kind of second-guess everything. Does that make sense? Don't do that. Don't do that. Not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Not given to much wine. Again, we talked about last week, the overseer is supposed to not be given to wine. The deacon is not to be given to much wine. I think in this context, it probably means... Uh, not given to much wine. And, you know, Ephesians says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So uh, if somebody wanted to make a case that um, the deacon uh, could engage in that, but not much, um, if that's your conviction, I wouldn't argue with that necessarily. Not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. Again, the, the King James calls it filthy lucre. You know, God wants to take care of us. God wants to be our provision. God doesn't want us having dirty money. There's some money that we can obtain by dirty means, 
cutting corners on our integrity, cheating on our taxes. We can get money that way if we want, but it's dirty. It's, Baba calls it filthy lucre. I don't want money that bad. We shouldn't want money that bad, right? And we all have to pay our bills, and we all have to do things, and maybe even once in a while we all like to have uh, a new whatever, you know. Uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But let me just say this. God loves to take care of his children. And I've seen over the years with lots of different people situations where God just blesses somebody financially. There's a situation right now, I won't embarrass the guy, but uh, we were talking a couple weeks ago. He was in, had some debt issues that he needed to take care of, but he also kind of needed to go this direction, and it just seemed like there was like door A and door B, and neither one of them seemed like they were a good option. And I said, maybe there's a door C that you don't even know about. Guess what? Thousands of dollars of door C dropped in the guy's lap miraculously. Now, does that mean I'm a pie-in-the-sky preacher? Name it, claim it. All you got to do is ask for it, and it's there. That's what the definition of blessing is? No, not at all. Actually, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the person that's blessed. Well, the guy that's poor in spirit, the guy that mourns, the guy that's meek, right? That's not like a health and wealth. Jesus wasn't a health and wealth preacher. Jesus himself you know, it was from a poor family, all that. I get all that, but all that to say is God wants to take care of his children. God closed the, closed the flowers and the lilies and the birds of the air. God's going to take good care of us. All right? But if we take matters into our own hands, this just applies to so many things. If we take matters into, into our own hands so much that we compromise the precepts and the principles of God, guess what? We're sort of outside of that, that blessing in some way. So we need to let God prov provide, and we, one of the ways we do that is by adhering to these principles. We're not greedy for dirty money. This deacon, he's holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I like this. Holding the mystery of the faith. That means he owns it. He owns his faith. His faith is not his daddy's or his grandpa's or the church. He doesn't have faith in the church. He has faith in the Lord. And, you know, even in church world, in, in modern church culture stuff, right? We can sort of try to brand the church, right? I want people to come to this church, and so we'll create a catchy brand and a, and a hipster logo and, a, and some of that. We don't want that. We want people to come to Jesus. We want people to come to Jesus. We want people to own their own faith, own holding to the mystery of the faith. It's not a religion. It's the life of the servant. Can I ask you a question that only you can answer? In the privacy of your own heart, is your faith personal with the living God today? Well, it was back in 1972 when I got saved. No. 
Is your faith personal with a living God today? Well, I go to church. No, no. Is your faith personal with a living God today? I give money to the church. Is your faith personal with a living God today? It's not religion. It's abiding in Christ. I think I mentioned a week or two ago, I've been reading through this book. Just, actually, it's a, just a sweet, it's a, it's a simple, it's actually not simple, it's pretty, it's pretty deep. But it's a, kind of a short read, it's kind of a, uh, it's like you read a small bit, and it's like, oh my gosh, that was such a nugget, I've got to pause and digest it, right? And I'm almost through it, when I get through it, we'll all have a copy of it, Okay. It's all about abiding in Christ. It's all about abiding in Christ. It's all about undoing religious baggage for the sake of abiding in Christ. That's what we want. That's what it means to hold the mystery of the faith. Our faith should be personal with a living God. It should be vibrant. It should be growing. We should be bearing fruit. And with a pure conscience. This doesn't mean perfection, but it means if we're deliberately trying to straddle the fence of God's in control and I'm in control, guess what? It doesn't work. Ever try to straddle a fence? Probably shouldn't go there. (laughs) Suffice to say, you don't get very far, right? We need to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Don't straddle the fence. Please, please, please. You want God to bless your life today? You want to be made well today? Surrender to God. Surrender to God. And again, I keep thinking about that, like whoever wants to be great. You know, there's another favorite line I have in my my mind, right? Jesus, I think it was John, maybe five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Jesus comes up to this blind or to this lame man, right? Many of you know the stool, the story. He's a lame man by the by the pool. And the legend had it that you know whenever the angel comes in and stirs up the water, the first guy in gets healed, right? Well, that's sort of a disadvantage to the lame man, right? But Jesus comes up to that lame man. And to me, asks the most fascinating question that really reveals a lot to me today. You remember what he says? He says, do you want to be made well? Now, if Jesus Christ, if I were lame from birth, and Jesus Christ came up to me and said, do you want to be made well? Trick question, maybe. What's the right answer, class? Yes. Dude, you know it. Absolutely. Right on. Whatever, right? What's the guy say? Let me give you the modern-day paraphrase of what the guy said. Well, Sort of, but according to my presuppositions, and I've been trying to get in the way that I've prescribed as the route to my healing, it just never seems to work out, and all uh, all it's left for me to do is sit here and whine for a few decades. 
That's his answer to what should have been, yes, sir. Right? And for us, I want to be a guy that holds the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I want to be a guy that when something in my life is broken, I want to be so surrendered that when he says, do you want to be made well? Yes, sir, comes blurting out of my mouth and not my religious presuppositions about what I thought it was required to be made well according to what the, the system taught me and how I grew up and blah, 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 blah. Does that make sense? It's not meant to be too heavy. It's meant to be freeing. I think God wants to set us free. Let these first be tested. All right. And let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So, you know, I always say this. My kids grow up hearing this from birth. Every job is an interview for the next job, right? How people don't get this I, is beyond me, right? In my office, uh, there's, uh, every now and then, there's a vacancy for a nurse position, right? And so uh, we have these, uh, these pool of nurses, right? We call it, well, I call it, we're swimming in the pool today. We've got a pool nurse, right? And maybe the pool nurse <clears throat> knows that there's an opening, in a, a permanent opening in our office today for a job, right? That's no secret, right? And maybe she knows that she might be a candidate for that job in my office, right? Would you think that she would realize that I mean, I'm not wearing a suit and sitting across the desk from her, but I'm interviewing her, right? She apparently doesn't realize that, <laughs> right? I mean, how smart do you have to be? Let the deacon first be tested. I've always, and again, I've always said, you know, if, if, if I need somebody to paint my house, I'm going to ask them to come out and paint my shed. I'm going to see how that goes. And then they're going to, if everything goes well, I'll ask them to paint my house. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So, they're wise. Now, the Greek here is a little bit difficult. The Greek is translated women, just like women. So, you know, the, technically the Greek would read, likewise, women be reverent not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So the context here, some would say that means their wives. That's how uh, the New King James has translated it. But some would translate it just women, like deaconess. Like, is there a position of that we might, if we were into labels, we'd give the label deaconess. Well, some churches do that, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? And do we have women doing these kind of jobs in the church? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. That doesn't violate, by the way, what we talked about in chapter 2, two weeks ago. But it also could mean the wife of the deacon, right? And so here again, this is a point where uh, we don't need to pick the fight because both, both usages of this translation would uh, give us good teaching opportunity. 
And so, the wife or the woman who's doing work as a servant in the church should be reverent. All right, same as the deacon should be reverent. She should not be a slanderer, right? The wife of a worker in the church sometimes knows stuff. You ever realize that, right? Or an overseer in the church, right? My wife knows stuff. And you guys need to be free to share stuff with her if the occasion arises. And you need to know that that's safe. And you need to not hear, you need to not hear it back from somebody else three weeks later at the gas station. Right? So that's pretty straightforward. She needs to not be a slanderer. She needs to not be hypercritical of other people. She needs to be temperate. Again, the word is sober. She needs to be faithful in all things. I like that. That applies to all of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, I believe, says, Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. We are called to be faithful in this life. Not successful, not powerful, not glamorous, not necessarily anything else, but faithful. If you are faithful at what God has laid before you, then that's your stewardship for this life that we have. And so the, the, the wife or the woman should be reverent, not a slanderer, temperate, and faithful in all things. We should all be faithful in all things. Let the deacons, verse 12, let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So this was the same as um, we read of the, um, of the bishop, the overseers. And the husband of one wife, again, if you weren't here last week, we, we indicated, I don't believe this indicates that it means the husband is never to be divorced, or the, the, a man that's divorced can't be an overseer or a deacon. Uh, Paul himself was at one time married, we know, because he was a Pharisee, and it would have been required, uh, according to his time, to be married if he was a Pharisee. We also know in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, if you're single like I am, then be content with being single. And you're like, wait a minute, he was married and now he's single. So most Bible people believe, and tradition has it, that uh, when Paul became a Christian, his wife said, I'm out of here, right? So Paul might, we might regard Paul as divorced, right? Would Paul be qualified to be an elder in the church? Yeah. Was Paul qualified to be a deacon in the church? Yeah. And so um, there are lots of situations uh, and all that um, in our past. But in terms of God's working in our lives, if a person's going to serve as a deacon, he should be a husband and one wife. The Bible, uh, the, the, the Greek phrase means he's a one woman kind of a guy. And let me just emphasize this as I did last week. Men, if you're married, your wife should know that you are a one-woman kind of a guy, period. And that has a lot of applications, as we know. My wife needs to know 
in the pit of her gut that I'm a one-woman kind of a guy. And that has to do with what I look at. That has to do with conversations I have. That has to do with lots of things. And even, even in the church, if you know me at all, you know I don't dislike or disregard women, but I don't snuggle up to them either, right? If a woman comes up here and has a prayer concern, prayer is a very intimate thing, by the way. I'm going to, as best as I can, I'm going to be looking for either your husband or my wife to pray with us, right? Is that paranoid? Maybe. Is my wife okay with that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Husband and one wife. Ruling their children and their their own house as well. So, again, not ruling like, you know, Jesus said the lords of the Gentiles do, but ruling like leading, like, like, and I like that the, that the wife and the children are kind of in the same context, like the, 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 children, the household, the, the wife, the husband leads the family. And that's nothing chauvinistic. That's nothing weird. It's like the, what I've said in my mind, I always say, means I, I take care of my wife and means she lets me. That's leadership and submission. I take care of her. She lets me. Does she have an opinion? You might know my wife. Does she have an opinion? She's got opinions. She's got a couple of them. Had a couple before we left this morning. Right? Is that good? That's awesome. That's awesome. Right? And, uh, and yet my job, I can't draw back from that. Right? I lead my family. We're all supposed to do that as, as servant leaders. For those who have served, verse 15, those, I'm sorry, verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So this brings kind of, as we kind of move toward the end of this chapter, this is bringing together kind of where I want to build. And that is, when we go through life demonstrating this kind of behavior, right, reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy, having integrity, having respect for others, not being a slanderer. When we go through life like that, guess what we have? We have credibility. And if we have any desire to influence this world for good, we need credibility. We live in a world where credibility is extremely lacking extremely lacking. And yet, here's the formula for having credibility. And those who have served well as deacons, having this sort of character, they obtain for themselves a good understanding and what? Great boldness. That means credibility. You've got the, bold, you've got the credibility to be bold in your faith, in your convictions, in sharing the gospel, in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
So again, don't think of the deacon as any less important than the bishop's work. Do it faithfully to obtain for ourselves a good standing. Great boldness to share the gospel is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But it comes with credibility. This book, uh, I think it's in this book. I, again, I think every time I reference this book, I reference that Tracy's a little farther ahead of it than I am. Have I said that before? Yeah. Tracy's a little farther ahead of it than I am, so she kind of gives me the, the preview, and I think it's in this book that we're reading. The guy says, I'm not saying don't, I'm not downplaying witnessing. Now, I grew up in a, you've heard me talk about sovereignty and responsibility. I grew up in a very responsibility-oriented denomination. Okay, at least the way we grew up with it was. And it was hammered on us to share our faith. Is that a bad thing? Well, the hammering part, yes. But uh, is it a bad thing to share your faith? No. Should we all share our faith? Should we all be ambassadors for Christ, uh, I believe Second Corinthians tells us? Yes, we should all be ambassadors for Christ. We should all share our faith as the Lord leads. And I remember there was a guy I worked with years ago. He was a Christian jerk. Have you ever met a Christian jerk? Raise your hand if you ever met a Christian jerk. Okay, so I don't need to describe him to anybody. This guy's a Christian jerk. There wasn't a single person in the workplace that didn't know he was a Christian and he was a jerk. You know what I'm saying? He didn't do the Lord any favors by declaring the Christian part. He had no credibility. If you're going to be a jerk, don't tell anybody you're a Christian. How's that? If you're going to be a jerk, just keep it on the down low. Right? Because your witnessing starts with your integrity. Your witnessing starts with your respect. Your witnessing starts with the way you treat others. Your witnessing starts with how you regard authority in either direction. Your witnessing doesn't start when you say, uh, let me read to you the four spiritual laws. Nothing wrong with that. But your witnessing starts when you establish credibility by the depth of character that we manifest. So those who have served well as deacons, as we'll say as servants, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to, you come, hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. I love this. So again, God wants some degree of order in the church. There has to always be some degree of order in, a group, in any group of human beings. And uh, he wants that order so that truth can be delivered to the world. The, pill, the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of truth. Can I tell you this? This is where you should come to find truth. If you can't find truth in this room, well, first of all, shame on me. But if you can't find truth in church, 
Where can you find truth? Wikipedia? Facebook? What grandma says? Right? You find truth in the church. And the truth should be the truth should be communicated and taught in the church. And this should be the pillar and ground of truth, the church of the living God. And so accordingly, there's a way we ought to conduct ourselves in in an orderly way. And so that's hopefully how we do it. And without controversy, great is the mystery of of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. I love this. So this is the summary of the gospel. Jesus came to earth. He died. He rose. He's who we now preach to the world. That's the truth that the church is to declare. Notice here also it says without controversy. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ controversial today? Very. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ controversial in the eyes of God today? No, it's pretty much a done deal. Right? Jesus came. He died. He rose. Not really any debate about that. Not really any argument about that. Theologians can't destroy that in the eyes of God. Right? It is what it is. So he says, without controversy, great is this mystery of godliness. So without controversy, the gospel is real. Notice also, finally, as we wrap up, he says, look here at verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Can I highlight one thing real quick? That word godliness is mentioned 15 times in the New Testament. Eight of them are in 1 Timothy. That word godliness is mentioned 15 times in the New Testament. Eight of them are in 1 Timothy. So what do we apply? How does that apply to our lives? I think really the idea is that we in the church, as we live orderly, as we do church stuff, what we're supposed to manifest in the church is godliness. Because let me just say this, and again, I don't want to digress too much. But the reality is there's a temptation for the church to dumb itself down a little bit. Does that make sense? We dumb ourselves down on the Word. We dumb ourselves down on uh, holiness. We dumb ourselves down because we want to reach the masses. Is, that, is it okay to reach the masses? Yeah. Is that our primary goal? No. Our primary goal is to conduct ourselves in the house of God, which is the, pillar of, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of, church, of truth. And, you know, I hope anybody can feel like they're welcome here. I hope somebody can come, I've said this before, I hope somebody could come out of prison for cold-blooded murder and walk in here and feel accepted. I hope they don't feel endorsed. I hope they feel like, you know what, I came here to, to find Jesus so that He can raise my life to a higher standard. So, I'll say come as you are, 
but don't leave as you are. Right? We need to uphold a high standard. Does that mean we're pompous snobs? Well, sometimes we are. (laughs) And we need to not be. Right? But let's not compromise on the Word of God. Let's not compromise on integrity. Some of these things should just be bedrocks of our lives. And you have to decide, right? You have to decide for you where, that, where those lines are. There are lines, that, there are lines that I draw in my life that you don't have to draw. You, guys, you want to pray with another woman? That's between you and the Lord, right? There are, there are and I don't necessarily judge anybody for that. I'm just talking about me, right? But there are bedrocks of integrity and of, of righteousness and of godliness that we as the body of Christ should exude. Godliness is mentioned eight out of 15 times in this, first, in this letter to 1 Timothy where, God, where Paul is describing to Timothy how a church ought to, ought to handle itself, ought to conduct itself. And the word is godliness. So, God sets order in the church. God wants the workers in the church to live life with enough depth of character that it's easy to share the gospel to a hurting world enough depth of character that we've got credibility in the eyes of the world even, and that we maintain that standard because we serve a God who died for us. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you've given to us all that we need for life and godliness. Thanks that we get to abide in you. Thanks that you are the one that bears fruit in our lives. Thanks that you are the one that gives us those opportunities to speak truth to a world that doesn't understand truth. Lord, help us to be faithful to those lives you have for us. Help us to be faithful to be stewards of this life that you've given to each and every one of us. Faithful stewards that live lives that bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.